Hi, Dave Amling here. Side one of For the Record program number 800. Meet the new bosses, same as the old bosses. Subtitled update on Ukraine. This program is being recorded on June 29th of the year 2014. This program is updating our ongoing coverage of Ukraine. We have dealt with that in For the Records 777 through 784 and then in 794. All of those are archived both on audio and the long article-length annotated uh, written descriptions of the programs with the source materials excerpted at length, uh, those source materials being uh, the information upon which the broadcasts are predicated. Uh, that is at spitfirelist.com. All of my life's work is up there for download for free, plus a small library of anti-fascist books and contributions by numerous listeners, including and especially a contributing editor who posts under the name of Terra Fractal, P-T-E-R-R-A-F-R-A-C-T-Y-L. Just this weekend, uh, I guess actually it was Friday, on the 100th anniversary of the assassination of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, uh, part of which the Western Ukraine used to be, uh, newly elected, although perhaps that belongs in quotes, Petro Poroshenko, about whom we will have more to say later, signed the EU Association Agreement. I wonder if that was mere coincidence. I doubt it. I suspect that that was yet another deliberate political and public relations thumb in the eye for President Putin and Russia. Uh, We're going to be looking at some of the latest developments in the Ukraine. One of the things that we are going to underscore and further develop, and that is one of the major uh, themes, one of the major features of our uh, coverage and of what in, is in fact taking place, and that is the continuity between the OUNB of the World War II era and the OUNB successor organizations, not just uh, Sloboda and Pravi Sector, the street-fighting militants that became the key elements of the provisional government, but also things like the Congress of Ukrainian nationalists and the Yushchenko government, uh, which rewrote the history of the Ukraine uh, literally in Orwellian style to make the OUNB, who were outright Nazi proxies in the Ukraine, they, they were made out to be heroes and even anti-Nazi uh, combatants, and that is simply not true. We're also going to be taking a look at, in addition to the remarkable continuity of the OUND. Uh, It fought with Nazi Germany, jumped to the CIA and other Western intelligence services, including BND, especially BND as well as CIA, and it was nurtured within the Republican Party's ethnic outreach organization. It became a key element of the Free Congress Foundation's liberation organ and was projected directly into uh, Ukraine after the breakup of the Soviet Union, uh, with which it helped, or which it helped to precipitate. We're going to be taking a look at just 
what uh, is going to be taking place in the Ukraine under the EU Association Agreement. We're going to be taking a look at the grinding austerity that is going to be brought to bear there. We're also going to be taking a look at some very firm signs of German economic colonial colonization of the Ukraine. German industry is uh, wetting its, licking its chops in anticipation of the Poroshenko government, and will probably be signing some uh, very lucrative agreements for their older books for, quote, developing, unquote, the Ukraine. Uh, Poroshenko is also talking about uh, signing a military agreement with uh, NATO. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be looking at in this broadcast is what Hitler talked about in Mein Kampf. Uh, Hitler wrote, quote, Most people tell little lies. They would be ashamed to tell big ones. They would never credit others with such great impudence as the complete reversal of facts. All good liars, even explanations, would long leave them in doubt and hesitation, as any trifling detail would dispose them to accept a thing as true. All good liars know this, therefore, and stop at nothing to achieve this end. Uh, as sort of a uh, corollary to that, uh, Hitler also noted uh, that uh, to maintain polit- political control, one should, quote, first tame the intellectuals, then take them to the fields and hitch them to your racehorses. And that has been done very effectively in the U.S. and elsewhere with its Orwellian journalistic and political coverage, whereas such guiding intellects of our time as Prince Charles of Britain and Hillary Clinton have been comparing uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, occupation, really is not an occupation of uh, the Crimea, to Adolf Hitler. I would note that, uh, parenthetically, uh, part of the agreement to allow Russia to maintain its naval base there, it kept 16,000 troops at that naval base, and there's every indication that the sentiment in Crimea, which had been part of Russia for 150 years, uh, was overwhelmingly in favor of getting away from Ukraine. And as one looks at the Hitler successors that have come to power there, one can understand why. And yet we are seeing the secession, which is really what it was, of the Crimea as uh, sort of like Adolf Hitler occupying the Rhineland and occupying the Sudetenland and occupying all of Czechoslovakia and so forth. In fact, what we are looking at is something very different. Part of the agreement uh, to reunify Germany and part of the negotiation which led to the end of the Cold War was that NATO and the fledgling EU would not be walked up right to Russia's door. Uh, The former Soviet Union had some 24 divisions in Eastern Europe, totaling about 300,000 troops, and uh, they agreed to pull those out if uh, EU, but at a more fundamental level, NATO, were not simply leapfrogged up to their door. That was part of the agreement between Chancellor Kohl uh, and Gorbachev of the Soviet Union. That has been violated, and between 1999 and 2009, 12 Eastern European countries, formerly part of uh, the Warsaw Pact and or the former Soviet Union, have joined NATO. 
And as we are going to see, uh, that is one of the things that Mr. Poroshenko was aiming at as well. Beyond that, we're going to wrap up the program uh, here talking about how U.S. and European Union energy policy is appears to be uh, aimed at dramatically not only weaning uh, Europe off of Russian, uh, its, its dependence on Russian natural gas, but dramatically driving down the price of natural gas and fossil fuels in order to destabilize the Russian economy and to destabilize President Putin's regime. What we are looking at is the Hitlerian complete reversal of facts uh, rather than, and, and this is not to say that Putin is an angel, um, I don't believe in the existence of angels, particularly not in the realm of politics, but the fact of the matter is that it is the U.S. and Germany and the West that is uh, behaving like Adolf Hitler, systematically biting up chunks of territory and looking to interfere directly in the politics of Russia. We're going to begin by, as I said, taking a look at the continuity between the OUND of the World War II era and the successive Ukrainian governments that followed the downfall of the Soviet Union. Uh, the following comes to us courtesy of Deutsche Welle of June 7th, 2014. Deutsche Welle uh, titled this, Ukraine's new president Poroshenko leads old team. What we're going to see here is that the Yushchenko team uh, is basically the Poroshenko team, and we'll call it in for the record 781. We pointed out that uh, under Viktor Yushchenko, and his wife, the former Ekaterina Chumachenko, top OUNB official in the U.S., and Ronald Reagan's deputy director of presidential liaison. Uh, Not only was the OUNB glorified, but the history of World War II in the Ukraine was turned on its ear. Uh, Yushchenko developed the Institute for National Memory, literally an Orwellian body that completely rewrote and perverted 100% the history of the Ukraine in World War II. And we're going to take a look not only at how the old Yushchenko team is the, quote, new, unquote, Poroshenko team, but in particular a fellow named Roman Zvarich. You'll see this S-D-A-R-Y-C-H or uh, S or Z-D-A-R-Y-C-H. It is originally in the Cyrillic alphabet, and you will see various transliterations. However, Zvorich was not only born in the U.S. In the early 1980s, Roman Zvorich was the personal secretary to Yaroslav Stetsko. Yaroslav Stetsko was the World War II uh, head of the Ukrainian satellite state. Uh, he was basically the top political official under Stefan Bandera. And Yaroslav Stetsko endorsed Nazi ethnic cleansing, tactics against Poles and Jews, and implemented same. Yaroslav Stetsko also became uh, the head of the OUNB abroad when uh, Stefan Bandera was killed and met with uh, uh, Ronald Reagan in the early 1980s. Reagan said, quote, your goals are our goals, your dream is our dream as well. Uh, and again, uh, Roman Zvorich was his personal secretary in the 1980s. And eventually, Roman Zvorich became Minister of Justice under Yushchenko. As we'll see later, he also was Minister of Justice in both Timoshenko governments and also was one of the people who formed the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists. Again, from Deutsche Welle of June 7th, uh, 2014, 
Ukraine's new president, Poroshenko, leads old team. This is basically what this is called. Meet the new bosses, same as the old bosses. The Deutsche Welle article reads, in part, But a close look at Poroshenko's team quickly shows that he has surrounded himself with officials from the Yushchenko era. For example, Poroshenko's election campaign was planned by Ihor Hryniv, H-R-Y-N-I-V. Parenthetically, I will probably butcher many of the Ukrainian names. Continuing, the 53-year-old Hryniv, a member of parliament and former director of the Kiev Institute for Strategic Studies, was once Viktor Yushchenko's advisor. He later represented his party, Nasha Ukraina, or Our Ukraine, in parliament. The 43-year-old foreign policy expert and diplomat Valerie Shalley, C-A-J-L-Y, was also part of Yushchenko's team. During Poroshenko's election campaign, Shalley was in charge of foreign policy issues. The 60-year-old Roman Zvarich is also back in politics. Yushchenko's former justice minister now consults with Poroshenko on legal issues. Zvarich was the personal secretary, again, as this is my uh, interjection, to OUNB leader Yaroslav Stetsko, continuing with the Deutsche Welle article. Elsewhere in Ukraine, the picture is the same. Viktor Baloa, B-A-L-O-H-A, for example, was the head of Yushchenko's secretariat during his presidency. He headed Poroshenko's election campaign in the western Ukrainian province of Transcarpathia. And what we're going to look at next, and again, bear in mind that Roman Zvarich uh, was not only Minister of Justice under Yushchenko, he was Minister of Justice, basically the equivalent of Attorney General in both Timoshenko governments and is now an advisor to uh, Petro Poroshenko. He, along with Slava Stetsko, who was the widow and successor to Yaroslav Stetsko, formed the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists. This basically was something of uh, an OUNB successor party, and uh, it was part of not only the uh, Our Ukraine uh, alliance or a coalition. It also, as we looked at in For the Record 779, was also part of the Fatherland Coalition as well, along with Svoboda and others. Uh, the Wikipedia entry for the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists reads in part as follows. The Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists is a far-right political party in the Ukraine, the fascist. It was founded on October 18, 1992, and registered with the Ministry of Justice on January 26, 1993. The party was set up in late 1992 by emigres of the OUNB on the initiative of Slava Stetsko and Roman Zavarich. Skipping down. At the parliamentary elections on March 30th of 2002, the party was part of the Viktor Yushchenko bloc, Our Ukraine. And uh, skipping down yet again, the former, former party leader Alexei Ivchenko was the head of Naftogas of Ukraine under the Yakonarov government. He was elected as the party leader on the 7th convention of the party on April 13th of 2003. Roman Zavarich was minister of justice in the first Timoshenko government and the second Timoshenko government, and in the Alliance of National Unity. Some of the uh, character of uh, the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists. In their fight against, quote, cosmopolitanism, unquote, 
Party members have in the past espoused what was seen as anti-Semitic views. In 2005, the official organ of the party newspaper, The Nation and Power, published an article which said, quote, the titular, titular nation in Ukraine, uh, ethnic Ukrainians, will disappear in 2006. After the 2006 election, Ukrainians will dance around the Jews, unquote. In his speech, at the opening of the Holodomor Memorial in November of 2007, the head of the party in Zaporizhia, Mr. In Zaporizhia Oblast Timshina, stated, quote, Our time has come, and the Dnieper will soon be red with the blood of Kikes, slur for Jews, and Moscow's slur for Russians. The Commerçant newspaper on January 26th of 2010 quoted the head of the Kiev city organization, Yuri Shepatyuk, saying, There is no anti-Semitism in the Ukraine. The Jews themselves organize various provocations and then talk about the persecution in their address to get even more funding from abroad. And uh, this last part of the entry is really interesting. Bear in mind that Wikipedia should be read very carefully, and much of it, like this part, <coughs> taken with a grain of salt. However, as of recently, the official party website appears to express support for Zionism and Israel, although not the Israeli government for prosecuting John Demyanyuk, and regards Zayev Yabotinsky, J-A-B-O-T-I-N-S-K-Y, as a hero. Well, uh, this is a very interesting, uh, not only O-U-N-B slash Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists uh, chicanery here, but Zayev Yabotinsky, nay Vladimir Yabotinsky, is a very interesting fellow indeed. And we're going to hear about some of his history right now. We're going to dip back into the archives uh, going back to the fall of 1982. This is from Missile Side 1 of Miscellaneous Archive Show M30, again, from the fall of 1982. Alexander Coburn writing from the Village Voice of October 12, 1982. For one of his recent reports from Israel for the New York Times, David Shipler interviewed the excellent Israeli journalist Amos Elon, last name E-L-O-N, and quoted Elon as referring to the Jewish face of fascism, unquote. Even tucked away at the end of the article, the use of the phrase was striking and brought to mind at once an uproar in August when I quoted here a famous letter to the New York Times signed by Albert Einstein, Hannah Arendt, and others protesting Begin's trip to the United States in 1948 and calling him and his party fascist. I was accused by Saul Stern of fascist baiting in these pages for citing the letter. So lest I be accused one day of shirking response to this charge, let us consider the background of the letter signed by Einstein et al. The ideology of Begin, his associates in the 1930s then thereafter, and the bulk of the revisionist movement within Zionism is a murky business. Until 1977, Begin was generally regarded as being on the lunatic fringe of Zionism, and after that date, he was rapidly liberated via Camp David and the Nobel Prize from the distasteful political and philosophical vestments of an earlier time. Einstein's attacks on Begin's fascism did not start in 1948, nor was it a matter of a woolly-minded physicist being recruited to revile Begin without any awareness of internal Zionist affairs. Einstein, himself a moderate Zionist, had been attacking revisionism, i.e. the movement which Begin now leads and which has always been the most militarist and rightist element in Zionism, militaristic and rightist element in Zionism, at least as far back as 1935. Why? A moderate Zionist like Einstein could, in 1935, point to the following characteristics 
of the revisionists. I'm going to sum up uh, the basics of this before uh, proceeding with Coburn's text here so you get some idea of just uh, what Coburn is talking about before we get into it because there's a lot of information presented here and uh, lest uh, some of it go by you, I'd like to give you basically two chances to uh, pick this up. Now, basically, the Betarim, spelled B-E-T-A-R-I-M, or the revisionist Zionists, were an explicit fascist wing in the Zionist movement, that is to say, the international movement to get all of the Jews or most Jews to return to the, their biblical homeland of Palestine. Okay. Now, basically, the Betarim or revisionist Zionists represented a fascist element within the Zionist movement, and among the things they did, they basically wore brown shirt uniforms, they associated and, in fact, took military training from Mussolini's naval cadets. Basically, they had a training school set up in Italy under the auspices of Il Duce, and basically they received military training at this school. They were, were reviewed by Mussolini himself, and they gave the fascist salute. They sang the Italian fascist anthem, and uh, their leader, a fellow by the name of Yabatinsky at that time, made it very clear that they were doing this because they felt had a strong affinity with the organization. They did not associate with Mussolini's fascists out of uh, any any felt sense of, um, oh, basically because they felt obliged to in any way. They associated with Mussolini because they enjoyed his, his uh, political views and they felt to themselves to be affiliated with those kinds of views. And it's interesting that uh, the Betarim basically saw Zionism as the embodiment of the inherent superiority, what they felt to be the inherent superiority of light-skinned peoples over dark-skinned peoples. In other words, they saw the the rise to power, one might say, of the Jews in the Middle East as basically a manifestation of some form of racial superiority. They were particularly supportive of Mussolini's invasion of Ethiopia, which they saw as a similar sort of phenomenon. In other words, they saw the Italians conquering the Ethiopians as a manifestation of uh, the racial doctrine which they believed in, which was, as I said, explicitly fa explicitly racist and explicitly fascist. And uh, it's worth noting, too, that the Betarim did not work against the anti-Semitic regime of Poland. Rather, they encouraged Jews to travel to the Middle East. So keep in mind the uh, all the things I just mentioned. I'm going to read the actual text in which Coburn presents this information. Now, bear in mind that uh, Coburn's information, in turn, comes from an article, a letter, I should say, written to the New York Times by Albert Einstein, among others, in 1948. Continuing here with Coburn's accounting of the fascist uh, wing within the Zionist movement, that is to say the Betarim, Coburn writes, A moderate Zionist like Einstein could in 1935 point to the following characteristics of the revisionists. They had brown shirt uniforms. They had a naval training school in Civita Vecchia from 1934 to 1937 set up by Mussolini. In 1936, revisionist cadets, known as Betarim, were reviewed by Il Duce himself. The March 1936 issue of Lidia Sionistica describes the ceremonies inaugurating the new, the new headquarters. The Betarim commander ordered the triple chant, Viva l'Italia, Viva il Re, and Viva il Duce. In other words, long live Italy, long live the king, long live il Duce, Mussolini. After which, the Betarim lustily sang the Italian fascist anthem. The revisionist leader, Vladimir Yabotinsky, deliberately stressed that it had not been necessary to have the school in Mussolini's Italy, where they were trained by the black shirts, it had been a matter of choice. Einstein or any well-informed political person could have quoted the financial director of the revisionist movement, Wolfgang von Wiesel, last name V-O-N-W-E-I-S-L, a good friend of Begin, as saying, as reported by a London Zionist paper, World Jewry, for June 12, 1936, that, quote, 
Although opinions among the revisionists, revisionists varied, in general they sympathized with fascism. He personally was a supporter of fascism, and he rejoiced at the victory of fascist Italy in Abyssinia as a triumph of the white races against the black. Where was Begin in all of this? Begin was the fire-eater of the, of the revisionists, one of the most militarist-minded. Yabotinsky found his ranting to be, quote, the useless screeching of a door, unquote. In 1939, Begin became head of the Polish Betar. The revisionist Irgun was being trained in Poland at Zakopane by the anti-Semitic Polish army in explosives, underground methods, and so forth. In return for this instruction, revisionists told the Jews of Poland not to struggle against the anti-Semitic regime, but to pack up and leave for Palestine. Of course, the overwhelming majority rejected. Begin escaped from Warsaw in September of 1939 in the company of his close friend Nathan Yellin Moore, last name Y-E-L-L-I-N hyphen M-O-R, editor of one of the revisionist Warsaw newspapers. Fleeing to Lithuania, Begin was imprisoned by the Soviet secret police sent to Siberia and only reached Palestine in 1942. Yellin Moore arrived well before Begin and joined the so-called Stern Gang, unquote, a split-off from the Irgun. The Irgun, by the way, was a underground paramilitary organization conducting, uh, well, paramilitary or terrorist activities, uh, depending on your uh, ideological orientation or which side you were on, in Palestine before, during, and after World War II. Continuing here with Coburn's account, in 1941, Begin was one of the couriers for the Stern Gang's proposal for a wartime alliance with Hitler's Germany, portions of which follow. The following document was found after the war in the files of the German embassy in Ankara, and is quoted in full in German in David Israeli's Hebrew Ph.D. thesis, The Palestine Problem in German Politics, 1889-1945. to It is quoted and discussed against the context of the entire period in Lenny Brenner's forthcoming Zionism in the Age of the Dictators. The German memorandum on the document is dated January 11, 1941. At this point, Abraham Stern called his movement the real Irgunsweileumi, or National Military Organization, abbreviated NMO. I'm not going to go into the text of uh, this memorandum right at this point. It's uh, basically a sort of typically turgid fascist prose, but uh, it makes very clear that uh, the NMO, the real Irgunsweileumi, the National Military Organization, believe very strongly that uh, basically they, they felt a strong affiliation with Nazi Germany, and that basically they saw Nazi Germany's policies towards the Jews as being consistent with their own. In other words, they saw German racialism as being beneficial to Zionism, and they sought a pattern of cooperation whereby the Third Reich would basically help them get the Jews out of, get German Jews out of Germany and into Palestine, and they in return would support the Third Reich's foreign policy goals. In particular, the uh, so-called Stern Gang, the NMO, was, uh, very much uh, preoccupied with attempting to undermine the British, basically undermine Britain's Middle East Empire, which, of course, the, the Germans coveted. So uh, it was in the interest not only of the Nazis to weaken British, Britain's Middle East Empire, but also of the Zionists as well, and they cooperated, at least to a certain extent, toward that end. That again, 
from side one of Miscellaneous Archive Show N30. Uh, obviously, Vladimir Yabatinsky, later Zayev Yabatinsky, was part of the fascist element, uh, a key element of the fascist element in the Zionist movement. I would note that his personal secretary and a pallbearer at his funeral was none other than Ben Zion Netanyahu, the father of current Israeli Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. I would also note that as we looked at in For the Records 94 and more recently in 776, uh, Netanyahu's Likud party sent a fellow named Udi Cohen as a representative of the Likud, along with, by the way, Bob Young, a seated Republican congressman from Illinois in the U.S., to the 1997 National Congress of the Alianza Nazionale of Gianfranco Fini, the successor to Mussolini's fascisti. The point being here that when the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists uh, regards Vladimir Yabotinsky, later Zayev Yabotinsky, as a hero, this is not something that negates its anti-Semitism, but rather something that reinforces its trans- transnational fascist ideological character. We're going to continue with our analysis inside too. This, however, concludes side one of For the Record program number 800. Meet the new bosses, same as the old bosses. This is being recorded on June 29th of the year 2014. I'm Dave Emery. Ciao.